remained elusive. The myths are abundant, of course, and began from the moment he was a little boy saluting his father's casket. They continued to his death at age 38, and now beyond. Sitting down to write this book, however, was difficult. It is rooted in my culture and background to follow a certain edict. If you aren't going to say anything nice, don't say anything at all. This is age-old Irish advice, and it's a good idea to follow it. There is, however, another cultural tradition. The Irish are great storytellers. So I felt caught between two ingrained parts of my personality. But something else is pushing me to speak. I believe that the stories, the true stories, of the people we love create the meaning of their lives. I shared, as John's friend, his struggle to establish his own persona. He had enormous pressure on him. He had become so many things to others, while still trying to become himself. For the most part, he accepted his strange status. More than that, he took on our ideas of who he was supposed to be. He remained loyal to his family and respected their history. He was intensely close to his mother, sister, and a few cousins. Yet he struggled with what it meant to be his father's son. It was a relationship he never developed and hardly remembered. As an adult, he embraced his father's legacy and character in order to define himself. Yet he was determined to live his life on his own terms, as he pleased. That's the John I knew but the world does not. He thought hard about being more responsible than many of his cousins, yet he was the guy named the sexiest man alive by People magazine. He started his political magazine, George, to tweak his family and their idea of what he was supposed to be, but also to get into the world of ideas, to join the national discourse on politics, and to honor his father. Especially as he got older, John read his father's speeches and favorite books, studied the careers of other national and historical leaders, and reveled in his Irish roots. He helped keep his father's legacy alive at his presidential library and museum and the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard. He also maintained the president's only home in the Kennedy compound on Cape Cod. We talked all the time about politics, about money, I was his stockbroker, about women, about our lives, and about what he saw in his political future. At the same time, friendship with John involved theater and fun. John was lively and assuredly real. He could not sit still. He smoked grass. He loved the blues. He could eat more than anyone I've ever known. He had a cavalier attitude toward danger, and he had a thing for hard-headed and beautiful women. He respected his Uncle Teddy, although some of the senator's shenanigans drove him nuts. John always responded to his uncle's requests to participate in campaigns or fundraising events for his family. He also was an incredibly thoughtful and caring friend. John drove up to Boston from Brown University the night before my cancer operation because he couldn't bear the thought of me lying in a hospital alone contemplating the worst. I owe John these stories, ours, told accurately. He believed in the idea of Camelot and the sense of responsibility it created. He hated people using the myth to try to make him into a prince. He preferred the metaphor of life being like a banquet, 
where he could choose what he liked and leave the rest. And what a banquet it was. John and I spent many weekends as adults at his house in Hyannisport. It was our habitual retreat up until his death. Sometimes, still, I dream about John, and Anthony, whom we've also lost, in rooms white and full of light, with music playing, as it always did. And I get a feeling, as I always did with John, that something is about to happen, some fun, some bit of intrigue and adventure. John was always going somewhere. And of course, I get the overriding sense of where he might eventually have landed. His death ended something important for me. It's a little like the memory of watching a football game a long time ago with my father. Don't ever bet against Notre Dame, he'd tell me. It's bad luck, never...